Actually, I preached last week in DeSoto, and um, I felt to preach on John, on John 9, and to share some of my testimony, because I hadn't shared like, my story with people um, in DeSoto before. Um, and, uh, and then I realized I was preaching here on Sunday, about two days ago, halfway on the travel home, and uh, I was like, Lord, you just give me something, give me a word. And uh, I opened up our Bible project reading for the day, and the Bible project for reading for the day was John 9, right? Which I just preached on the week before. Not because it was in the Bible project, but because it's what the Lord had placed on my heart. And uh, I felt him say to, to share the same thing, um, which is, of all the more to forget your notes, it's good, because if I'm sharing my story, I know what my story is, yeah? Um, but, uh, yeah, it's connected with this other story that uh, is Jesus healing the blind man, right? So let me, let me read it. Um, I'll do up the slides there. Uh, so the story says, Jesus went along, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it's day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he stood on the ground, and he made some mud with his saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam. This means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Um, his neighbours and those who had formerly seen him beg and asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was, others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, and put it on my eyes, and he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed. And then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. Um, they brought him to the Pharisees. The man had been blind. Now on the day which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes on the Sabbath, therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, he said. The man replied, and I washed, and now I see. And the story goes on with the Pharisees just repeatedly asking him what happened, what happened. It's like they're determined not to believe what he's, what he's told them. They're questioning, is he even the guy who was blind? But there's this miracle that happened that um, a man who was blind was, was able to, uh, to see. So let's just, let's just work through it like piece by piece and see what uh, the Lord would say. Because it's, it's a bit of a strange story, yeah? You might, you might think that Jesus just like, laid hands on the mind or just said, you know, like, eyes be opened or something. But there's this story of him like spitting in the mud, spitting in the dirt, making mud, rubbing it on the guy's face. And you're like, well, what, what was Jesus at there? Um, and uh, yeah, I just want to connect that in with some of, some of, uh, of my story um, as we go along. But as we start, right, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is walking along. If you read in chapter 8 just beforehand, right, he's been in like the, the temple and he said some stuff around about Abraham. He's like, before Abraham was, I am, right? And, uh, and they're like, what do you mean before Abraham was, I am? Like, that's blasphemous. Abraham lived a long time ago. You're only, like, you're not even 50 years old. It says they picked up stones to, like, to stone him, to kill him. And it says he like hid himself and he slipped, he slipped away. And then the next thing we read is like, it says as he went, as he passed by, he saw this, this blind man. And uh, the first thing I'll pick out from it, and even just as I read it this morning, even from my own heart, was um, like, so Jesus effectively, he's not running away. He's like it says, in another translation, it says he just moved among them. So they pick up stones to kill him and somehow he just like goes through them. <laughs> and, then, and then he comes across this man, and there's all these questions the disciples are thrown at him, and instead of being like, lads, there's people waiting to kill us, do you know what I mean? Ask me another time, or like, let's just get out of here. Like, there's no, there's no flummoxing in him, do you know what I mean? There's no pressure in him. 
there's no stress, it seems, in him. He's willing, he stops and engages with this guy, even though someone is about to, to kill him, and, uh, or people are, are trying to kill him. And uh, I don't know, there's just something about Jesus and the way that he walked with the Father, the confidence that he walked in, the knowing that he's in the Father's hands, the knowing that he's doing whatever God has told him to do, that stops him from getting stressed, that stops him from reacting in a panic. We do see Jesus getting angry at times, right? But if he gets angry, it's a righteous anger. It's not a retaliatory anger, do you know what I mean? It's not a situational anger. It's like righteous anger for something that's going wrong. Um, but there's a calmness about him in all situations. I probably spoke to me this morning because even during the week on the way home, I lost my cool a bit. We were trying to travel back and uh, what happened? Um, first of all, one of the cars wouldn't start. For four hours from Johannesburg, one of the cars wouldn't start. 30 minutes from the nearest town, had to try and like, get jump leads. We had no jump leads. Someone had to drive, give us jump leads. Then we got on the road. Then, then one, the same car got a flat tire. Um, we had to like pull into this place, change the tire. The window's going down and down and down. And then we were driving on, and one of the cars stopped at this petrol station. When we weren't meant to stop, we just had enough time to get it there. And I like lost me cool, right? I'm just like, come on, like, and and uh, and there was there was the grace of God as I reflected on this in the in the past couple of days because no one likes losing their cool. There was the grace of God for me in the moment to deal with that. Had to get mailed of it, but I didn't try, and I just went in the flesh of Rob and just like we need to get here on time, do you know, and. Um, but you don't see that. You don't see that in Jesus. There's something about dependency on the Father that lets us move through this world, not just reaction, not just in pressure. That was just about flights. Someone was trying to kill him there. And, uh, and he still moves, and he still does what's important, and he still treats people with respect and with dignity, and he still goes into the situations where he's meant to be and does what God has called him. And my prayer is that, that we'd be like that, that I'd be like that, that regardless of what we're in, what we're facing, stuff doesn't just get to us. Pressure doesn't just build up and we don't find ourselves just reacting as if there is no God but that we learn to rely on, depend on, step into I need your grace right now Lord, I need your enabling, I need your patience, I need your peace I need your wisdom, I need your miracle I need whatever it is in the situation and so he leans in, so he walks to walk past this blind man, the blind man must have been, it said he was blind from birth and the disciples asked him this question, who sinned like to make, to make him blind and, um, he must have been, he must have been, he was begging, right? He must have been saying, like, help me, I'm blind, I've always been blind, I'm blind. He must, for the disciples to know that, to ask him this, this question. Um, and uh, something about, like, just his identity, yeah? That this guy is, is sitting there and his identity is, I'm the blind man, I'm the beggar, I'm the whatever. And um, until he has an encounter with Jesus and then, and then something changes. And uh, we need to be able to give guys, we need to be able to give God the final rights on who, we, on who we are and the things we say about ourselves, things that have probably been said about him. Loads of people have probably told him this thing, and loads of people have probably said similar stuff to what the disciples said. And so they walk past, and the disciples like, don't even really acknowledge him, they don't speak to him. The first thing this guy hears is people speaking about him. And they're speaking about him, if we could just try and put ourselves into the place of that blind man in that moment, right? They're speaking about him, not in nice ways. So they see a guy begging, and it's not like compassionate, like, you know what I mean, how can we help? They're not, they're not moving towards him. Instead, they try and make some theological point or something. You know, it's like distanced from the person itself. And I think we can do that maybe as Christians sometimes. We talk about these ideas and people and ideologies, and we can have like an us versus them, or like, instead of like actually engaging with people, walking with people, having compassion on people, like moving towards people. Um, and they ask this question, they're like, who sinned to make him blind? Did he sin or did his parents sin? And imagine if that's you, right? You're blind, you're begging, you just hear these people walking past. And the first thing they're, they're asking about you is like, who messed up here? Is it just that this fella is no good and God's punishing him 
for being a sinner, or were his parents no good and God is punishing them from, for being a sinner? And uh, Jesus refuses to engage with that mad theology. Do you know what I mean? It's like, he's like, no, like, I'm going to do something here. I'm the light of the world. And he moves towards the guy. But even as he moves towards him, right? Imagine again, you're the blind man. First thing you've heard is like people slating you and slating your parents. I remember when I was a kid, that was like the thing you used to say. You know, like if you wanted to like, you know when you're like trading insults with your friends and then eventually if it escalates, you'd just be like, you're ma. Do you remember that? Like just them two words. Yeah, nothing else, just your ma. Do you know what I mean? That's enough to like just make somebody go for you or something. And, uh, and yeah, I don't, know what, I don't even know what that even meant. Just your ma. Guilty. Did you do that, uh, and uh, so these are slating his parents and slating him and then the next thing he hears right you might even expect the next thing you might hear is Jesus saying don't talk about him that way don't do it like but the next thing you hear is somebody gathering their spit yeah spitting on the ground and then he feels like something wet like on his eyes being rubbed in his face and uh, and for some reason he just doesn't he doesn't react in the crazy way that I would right that was me in that situation, I would pick up whatever stick I have for getting around when I'm blind, and I would be swinging it for whoever is closest, yeah? Like somebody, I've just been insulted, and then people are talking about me. Now somebody has just spat and rubbed it in my face. I don't know what's, what's being said. Nothing's been explained to me. We know, right? We read, uh, we read the story straight through, next sentence. We see that he's healed. We see that it's a miracle. If you study theology, you probably realize what Jesus is doing. is like a mirroring of the Genesis thing. God forms man from the from the dust, from the dirt. You see Jesus again intimately involved in healing and restoring somebody's sight with using the dirt again. It's this claim to be God. It's this connection with God. Um, and we get that and we get that he's going, to be, he's going to be healed. But in the moment, the guy must have just felt somebody's just insulted me and spat at me and rubbed it in my face. And uh, he must have just been low. And he doesn't, he doesn't react. He doesn't retaliate. And I was asking him, I was like, why doesn't he react? Why doesn't he flip? Why doesn't he freak out? And... Um, I think it was probably not the first time somebody had spat at him, or not the first time that somebody had uh, somebody had insulted him, or somebody had done that. I think maybe he's just in a broken, low place. I've nothing to nothing to give. I can't retaliate. I can't I can't fight back. I don't know what. And in that in that that moment, there's like this picture of of, of even the gospel, right? There's this there's this picture of how like the upside down nature of the kingdom of God that. That it's really in our brokenness and in our lowest place that we find God at work, even in ways that we don't expect Him to be at work. Um, and it's this message you've heard me say again and again: that we're coming to rely on the grace of God, realizing that the nature of sin itself is independence. The nature of sin is just what did that? What was Adam and Eve tempted with? You don't really need your Maker. You could be like your Maker. Yeah. You don't really need Him. You can be Him. You can decide what's right and wrong. It's this independence that we want from God. It's not that that sin is like a list of these wrong things and then instead do the right things. It's like, are we walking in relationship with God in dependence on him or are we choosing independence and I'll choose my own way? And I think this fellow was just in such a broken place that he had no like, independence left. He had no striving left, no fight left in him. And um, ironically, that's often the way that we need to get to to the things of God, because as long as we come thinking we're bringing something to the table and achieve whether it's our own self-righteousness or it's our own acts, whether we can handle all things together, we can ourselves, we can fix ourselves, we deny the grace that actually that actually makes us strong. And so in his brokenness, this guy has an encounter, an encounter with Jesus. And so he's there with the the mud and the spit on his face, 
And, uh, and then there's these sentences. It's like, Jesus says, let me get the Bible verse here. Um, he spat on the ground, verse 6, made some wood and saliva, put it on his eyes. And then it says, go. This is the first time Jesus even speaks to him, right? Doesn't know what happens. This is what Jesus, the first words that Jesus says in the situation to him. Go, he told them. Wash, verse 7, in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. And then the next verse. So the man went and he washed and he came home seen. Go, he told them. Wash in the pool of Siloam means sent. And then the man just went and he washed. Somehow there was something in the recognition, even in the midst of the insulting, the mud on your face, the brokenness, there's something in the recognition of it that God was there in the moment. And in between those two sentences, there was a command to go. And he could have, right? He could have just been like, what are you on about? Who are you? Like, what? Like, no. Why, why am I going to go and do anything? You've just spat at me. But maybe, as Jesus mentioned about being the light of the world, maybe as earlier on he's talking to the disciples, like, I have to do the works of him who sent me. Maybe there was something deposited in the man where he's like, like recognition that this is, this is God. There's something here. There was something anyway that enabled him to go. And uh, my fear is that sometimes, right, as we go through life, and I've experienced this, right, that we can live in the in-between of those two sentences. We can live in the space of being offended, you know, and there's the command to go and do something, and we're just like, ah, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. And we deny ourselves the healing that's on the other side of it. It's like we live in between those two things. You might even feel like God has offended you. God has let you down. Maybe you feel you've been doing all the right things and then life hasn't turned out the way that you wanted to and we're stuck in the, the offense. You're like, God, what are you doing? What? Like, you're in control of all things. You're sovereign overall. Why does my life look like this right now? Why, why are things in a mess? Why is this relationship not worked? Why is this broken down? Why is the job not working out? Why is whatever? And what we can do is we can just like live in the offense, live in the space with the mud on our face and just claim, God, you've done this and not move beyond that being a command to the healing that God wants to do in our lives. And, um, I've been there. Um, like that's, that's what like, probably some of the most profound moments in my life have looked like. Um, where I felt like that God had let me down. I felt that God like, had, there's mud on my face, do you know what I mean? Like that he's, he's done this thing. And like, what are you at? Um, but in the middle of that, there was also a command. And then when I followed that command, it brought great healing. And so, um, and freedom, yeah. Like, so my, my life, I know, I, like, I felt the Lord tell me to share this. So apologies if you heard my story already before. I know some of you have been around church for a while. But, so I, I grew up, right, as a, as a Christian. My parents knew the Lord. Like, I was blessed that they, they knew the Lord. They came, my dad had been like a heroin addict. And uh, somebody came to him in, uh, in a sickbed in, like, like, I don't know, a hospital somewhere. And someone came and told him about Jesus. And he gave his life to the Lord. My mom gave his life to the Lord. That was before I was even born. They got married and I came along. So I grew up in this, I grew up in this environment of people whose lives have been transformed by Jesus, right? And just believing, like growing up, just believing like, that God had a plan for my life. Awesome stuff, right? And, uh, and life seemed to always go pretty well. Like, like I just knew God's hand was on my life. And through stuff like exams, stuff like, like pressures in school, that sort of stuff. I just knew it just it'll just work out. Do you know what I mean? God is God is in it, so like it'll just work out. And uh, I had this desire to to go and work for the church. I always wanted to serve the Lord with my life. Um, but I went and studied, became an engineer, um, and was working at that. I tried to figure out ways into ministry, but there weren't really roots into to ministry unless you wanted to start a church or, or do something. I probably didn't have the boldness to do that. But God made a way, right? And eventually, I left my uh, I left my job as an engineer. Um, in like 2006, 
2006 to uh, to go and work for to go and work for the church. We're just at uh, Liberty in one space at the time in the city centre, and um, so I went and uh, I worked at Noel. God had provided. Like in the year before, He'd sent me down. To, uh, my job had sent me down to Cork. And uh, at the time I felt mad, I had to drive down to Cork every Monday morning, back every Friday, involved in church at the weekends. And, but they threw, it was during Celtic Tiger stuff, they threw crazy money at me to do it. So I was able to then go to Noel and be like, okay, church can pay me just even a small amount of enough saved to be able to look after us. We're newly married. And uh, so everything was going good and I had this aim. I was going to preach um, within the first year that I was, uh, that I was at church, um, working for the church. Which seems like a big thing, but uh, I was like, like cripplingly like shy, self-conscious. I don't know what the word is. Introverted, um, couldn't speak in front of people. I always use the example: I'd be in a new room, you know, when you'd start college and you'd like have to do some icebreaker or something. You go around the circle and just say your name and where you're from. And my heart would like beat so loud, like my chest that I'm convinced that person beside me can hear that heartbeat. You <laughs> know, and uh, I'd be afraid, like that. Well, just saying my name out loud, I'm gonna mess it up or I don't know what. It'll completely illogical, right? But just this anxiety, just twisting my gut. So the idea of preaching, standing up in front of people, would be would be nuts to me. But I also had this thing that whenever I read the word, whenever I like the way I would understand it is like I would picture myself explaining it to other people, right? So I felt there was maybe this call on my life to preach. Uh, but I had to get over it, and uh, so I preached within the first year, and uh, and Jay was there. Uh, I remember Jay helped me practice. Actually, I practiced at home with like a hairbrush, like a <laughs> mic. Do you know what I mean? Like someone like I don't know, trying to be a pop star or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what do you do with your hands? Where do you where do you put them? What do you? Um, and uh, I remember I, I wrote the sermon and had it ready like a couple of months beforehand. And Jay sat down like and listened to it as if he was a congregation, like gave me feedback on it and. Um, anyway, my parents were there listening the first time that I preached, and uh, stuff had gone on for them. So my dad, my dad was a Christian, but he had like some um, like addiction issues. He'd just been through like abuse as a child and stuff that just like kind of had a root, just came back every now and again. Do you know what I mean? It's something. Um, and uh, he'd been back in college, and uh, he'd ended up drinking, and it turned into like this kind of five or six year period of like just horribleness. Do you know what I mean? Like drink, drink just caught him, and him and my mom had ended up separated. But in that year, the same year that I went to work for the church, um, like my dad had got completely clean and sober, and like so much so that he'd restored the relationship with the two of them, and they, they renewed their wedding vows, um, which was awesome. And uh, so two weeks before I preached, they renewed their wedding vows. They went off on honeymoon, uh, and I got up to preach for the first time, and they were there, just just like a couple of like about two thirds of the way back on the right hand side. I can picture them, and uh, the sermon went great. It was awesome. Nobody booed. Nobody left. It was okay. It was like a decent enough sermon, and uh, but uh, I remember the two of them there, like just proud. Do you know what I mean? Which was awesome. And uh, I went down and I was chatting to them, and it turned out my mum had been. She picked up like a stomach bug. They were in Turkey on honeymoon, and picked up like a stomach bug. And um, yeah, she actually ended up in hospital the night before with it because it was like severe. And uh, she checked herself out of hospital to come and hear me preach, which was which was awesome. And. Uh, and so, yeah, then she ended up back home. She was sick. She was sick in bed and some other stuff was going on. And I remember then um, about a week later, she ended up, or a few days later, she ended up back in hospital. And somehow this stomach bug thing, so she was on some, not to explain everything, right, but she was on some medication. She had some arthritis in her hands. And apparently arthritis is like an overactive immune response, right? So she was on this new medication that suppressed her immune response to, to tackle the arthritis. But because of that, this stomach bug that she got, her immune system was suppressed and turned into something else. Eventually it turned into like pneumonia in her lungs. 
She ended up in intensive care. Um, she was in intensive care for about six weeks. And, uh, and then she passed away. She died, right? So she went from being completely healthy to, like, she's only 51, 50 years of age, um, to completely healthy, high time, like, marriage is good, life is restored, to passing away. And I was like, I didn't know what way was up. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, what's going on here? Like, um, then about three months passed, and I went, um, I went away to Belarus. Before we used to go to Lesotho, we used to do some work in Belarus. And every time I'd gone away on a missions trip, it was like I would encounter God in some way, like Jay Express there, or new people who go on trips, it's like some encounter of God. So I'm expecting, when I go over here, I'll encounter God, and he'll help me deal with the passing of my mother. All sorts of questions, right? People in the church have had words, she's going to be healed, do you know what I mean? Might be just the best of their intentions, do you know what I mean? I was even, like, I, even, I had faith, guys, I believed, like, like, if it was just down to faith, um, like, I went in and prayed for her when she died, like, that she'd be raised from the dead, she wasn't obviously. Um, and so mad questions about who even is God? What am I, what am I after doing here? I've left, <laughs> I've left this career as an engineer to come and work for a church. Who even is, who even is God? And um, so, yeah. So then, what? That was September. December, we were on this trip, like Christmas camp for kids, orphaned kids. We are in this place. Um, what's it called? It doesn't matter. We're in Belarus, anyway. This place the Germans built for, like a, a retreat center. And uh, I was there the first night, and I'm expecting to encounter God and get over this stuff, but I was there the first night, and uh, Brian, who was leading the trip, woke me up, and uh, he'd just gotten a call from my sister, and my sister had found my dad dead at home um, on that, uh, yeah, that evening. So, um, and it turned out, like, he'd, he'd kind of relapsed on some, he'd, like, st- just started drinking again in the aftermath of my ma passing away, and he didn't have another, he didn't have another binge in his body. And so something happened, I think it was, like, an aneurysm in the end, or something, but it was caused by the, do you know what I mean, the binge, so, um, so again, he was, he was, my mom was 50, he was 51, they both passed away, it was like 16 weeks in between each other, and uh, I'm away on this missions trip now, and I'm like, Lord, I'm here trying to do what you want me to do, I'm here serving orphans, left my job, and they're like, and uh, what are you doing, what are you at, this isn't, and life up to that point had looked like I do the right things, the right results come, do you know what I mean, just trust God, and the right things happen, and here, where it was, here I was in this place where I felt I'm probably doing the rightest of things, do you know what I mean? Like, and the worst thing that I could probably have imagined at that point happening had happened. And, uh, and I felt like I imagined, I don't know, that man might have felt. I felt like there was mud on my face and God had put it there, do you know what I mean? Like, not knowing what was going on, just, what are you at? What are you, what are you doing? Who are you? I don't even know who you are anymore. And uh, I floated around for about, for about a year, I said, I said working for the church. Um, but I was like the biggest cynic in the world, right? Just the biggest, I don't know, yeah, just, I just had no space for, for stuff. And Noel was patient with me, yeah, he probably just felt sorry for me. He's like, I can't sack this fella. It is like, well, I was just cynical, just, um, you know, there was moments I'd encounter. I remember the first time I led worship after, and I felt the same as when I had led worship before, and I was like, there's some sort of continuous nature of who, of who God is, right? That hasn't changed. But I just didn't know who he was, and, it came to a space, it was like make or break space, about a year, a year and a half after. Um, it was really make or break for me. And I had this, I felt that the Lord, I didn't, I didn't actually fully remember this, but I kept a journal all through times. So I'm always writing, right? I just, I just write things. Not like a diary, but just what I'm thinking. I suppose it is a diary, isn't it? Um, so diary sounds very girly or something. <laughs> journal sounds like Dear diary. <laughs> But uh, I kept like this thing, and I kept, I kept writing, I'm like, I need to know whether God is real or not. And I wrote in it a few times, I looked back on it, I still have the notebook, um, that uh, I think God wants me to go and spend some, spend some time with him. 
but I wrote that over a period of a year repeatedly, but I didn't do it, right? And I think I didn't do it because I was in some sort of denial or no man's land. And if I'm completely honest with you, here's what I was afraid would happen, right? If I question this God stuff too much, it'll all turn out to be bull and, and I'll look like an idiot for leaving the job. And I'll, do you know what I mean? It's like, I was afraid, like, I'd, it's like a house of cards. If I start messing with it, it's all just going to fall apart. Do you know what I mean? It's all just going to collapse and then I, I won't know what way it's up. But eventually I got to the space where I couldn't, I just couldn't, I couldn't live with, with um, I just couldn't continue in one way. I felt like a hypocrite at church. Do you know what I mean? I felt like, what am I supposed to tell these people about God? I don't even know. I don't even know who he is. Do you know what I mean? I wasn't willing to be that. And also I hadn't dealt with, with probably the emotions of it. I threw myself into like renovating our house and our si- my sisters moved back in with us. They were quite young and needed some people to look after them. So I um, just threw myself into that kind of stuff. But my emotions were like, I describe it as like my emotions were at like the level of my eyelids. So I'd be watching something stupid like, like X Factor and I'd start crying. Do you know what I mean? Or something like that. I'm like, man, I can't, I can't live like this either. I can't just be an emotional wreck. So eventually, I, um, some friends of mine had a caravan down in Curraclough and they, uh, they said, Rob, if you ever need to use it, you'd stare. And I said to Patrice, it was actually our anniversary, but uh, she was gracious enough. I was like, I think I need to go away by myself. And... Uh, and two things, one, I wanted to kind of deal with all the emotion of it, grief. I wanted to be in a space, if I'm completely honest, where I could, because I had Patrice and had other people around me and people relying on me, sisters and all, and I felt like I can't break down, do you know what I mean? I need to be strong in some way. So I needed to be in a space where there was nobody, I could just ball crying, do you know what I mean? I didn't have to worry about anybody seeing me if, if that was what I needed to do. And, um, and also, I'd read this thing, this guy called Clen Denon, Noel had this book, it's a Welsh pastor or something, he said something like this, that... God wants to deal with everybody, or wants his relationship with everybody to be, to be based on reality, right? And, that, and just that word reality stuck to me. And I realized, like, I used to have a faith that was very, um, like, it was enough to leave a job, right? So it was, it was solid enough, right? Um, but it was based maybe on other people's stories. It was based on, I'd hear Noel tell stories of how God had provided, and I'm like, right, Noel isn't the, Noel isn't the bullshitter, do you know what I mean? Like, so that's... I can trust that, do you know what I mean? Or somebody would have an encounter with God, and other elder Peter, and I'm like, I trust that guy, I trust what he's saying about God. So it's like I lived off other people's faith, but I hadn't got that encounter with the Lord myself. And so it was kind of make or break. And really, I really think it was, I think it was either like, either I have some, either I come away from this knowing that God is real, or I kind of walk away. Do you know what I mean? I just go back to being an engineer. Maybe I would have fell away from church, I don't know, like, but um, maybe the Lord would have kept me even if I made a bad decision there. But um, I feel like I was living, at that time, I was living in that, see, in between those sentences that I mentioned, in that full stop, God says to the man, go to the pool of Siloam. When he went, he was healed, right? But he could have just stopped. And for a year and a half, I was just in the full stop between those two sentences. I didn't respond to what God was saying, go away. But he just made it almost impossible to not do it because I was working for a church, all this sort of stuff. Like, I have to give this a go. So I went away, right? And... Uh, being an engineer, the first night I was like, I'm going to deal with all of my, all of my pain. I'm going to like just lean into it in the best way I could. And so I write notes. So I started writing down in my notebook this list of all the things that uh, my parents were to me that I felt I was missing because I'd lost them. Because they were great, even though my dad had like, his issues. He loved the Lord, just didn't manage to get victory over those issues. Next generation, we have victory over those issues, yeah? It's like he broke it, he paid the price for it, he got past it. Like, me and my sisters don't struggle with that stuff but he didn't manage to get by them. So they were great, great parents. So I wrote this list, and it's like two or three pages long. I was like, like who's gonna look after my sisters? I was like, 
I never really needed money from my mum and dad, but you know, just the security of the backup. And knowing if I was broke and needed something, it's there. Do you know what I mean? It's that, that protection is there. Um, who's going to teach me how to be a parent if I have a kid? All this sort of stuff. Who's going to be proud of me if I achieve anything? Is it going to be kind of bittersweet because there's no one to be proud of me? And um, somewhere, about two-thirds of the list as I was writing this thing, thing after thing, I realised I was writing a list of things that God was saying he would be to me, right? And the little, like the scripture index in my brain from being raised in church, like I'm, I'm being in the Word, could point scriptures to all of those things. And I knew that the Lord was saying he would be all of these things, this whole list of them, right? And to, at the end of the list I wrote, um, do I believe God is saying he could be these things? And I wrote, yes. And I was like, do I trust him to be? And I wrote underneath that, yes. And, uh, and instantly, like instantly, all of my stuff left me, right? All of the feeling sorry for myself, all of my grief, all of the need to cry, all of the emotions being there. Like in, in a moment, like it just, it just went. And, uh, and that was like probably 16 years ago and it hasn't came back. Do you know what I mean? Uh, that if it, and I think it would have came back if it was just, you know, some construct I made, some way of rationalization. Well, here's how you're dealing with your pain. You're telling yourself there's a God and there's all these things. But experientially over the past 16 years, I've known the Lord being proud of me. I've felt it. I've experienced it. I've known the Lord loving me unconditionally. I've known the Lord providing for me when I had no money and I needed stuff. I've known him looking after my sisters and looking out for them. I've known him teaching me what it is to be a father when I have, when I have Penny and been able to be a good father to her, to her and reflecting who he is. Um, to the extent, guys, I don't, I don't know, I often say this, but I don't say it lightly um, or to prove a point, but if I, could have, if I could have my parents back tomorrow, but I had to give up the experience of God as father, I wouldn't do it. Uh, because he's been better than them. He's been, he's, been, he's been better than they were. And in that moment, the Lord brought back to memory this thing. My dad used to tell me this story that um, when, uh, when they dedicated me, like, so they were in like a house church, they were in these, they weren't in like a, there wasn't many churches around, just, like in homes. And, uh, but they just dedicated me to the Lord at home by themselves, the two of them in the bedroom. And um, they, my dad always used to tell me, he's like, your ma really struggled. Your ma really struggled dedicating you to the Lord. And he'd say like that, he'd tell me that she was like, um, she felt like she was giving me away. Like she felt like that, that she was dedicating me to the Lord. Like if he decided to take my life in that moment, like he could do it. Do you know what I mean? Like that natural thing. Imagine your, your baby and you're like, oh, it's just, like you're actually giving it to a person. Do you know what I mean? He's yours. Um, and, uh, and the Lord reminded me of my dad telling me that story just as I, as I finished writing that list. And like he was saying to me, Rob, I've always, I've always been your father. I've always been these things. You've always been mine. You, just, you didn't need to know it to that extent until this moment. But I've always been those things. And he's been greater. He's been greater in every way. Um, and so why, why am I sharing that story? It's like, if you haven't, you may be there right now. You may be in a space to come. You may have been there. Living in the space between like the command of God feeling even let down by God, feeling let down by life, feeling things aren't working out the way they should, feeling even disappointed in God, maybe even following and taking steps of faith and it's not panning out the way you would think. What I'm saying is God, God took, he didn't answer me why my parents passed away at that, that moment, but he did the answer with something even better. I went away, I use this language, I went away thinking I don't know who God, who God is really. And, uh, and I came back realizing I didn't know who he was, that he was better than I thought he was. Yeah? It wasn't worse than I thought he was. He was better than I thought he was. And he's continued to be better. What I'm trying to say is, in the middle of your mess, in the middle of even if you feel like God has let you down, and you feel there's mud on your face, you're like, what's he even, what's he even at? What's he doing? Like, why, like why, why am I the way I am? Why is things happening the way they are? Lean into whatever he's asking you to do, right? He sent that guy to the pool of Siloam. Like, there's obedience the guy had to do to, 
access a field or something of faith. And I believe God even gifts you with that faith. To me, he gifted it to me by bringing it to the lowest place where I nearly had no choice, right? But if you can avoid that, if you can listen to the voice early on, I wish I listened to the voice early on when two months in I wrote down, I feel God is calling me away to a place that could have saved me another year and a bit of uh, grief. But uh, listen, listen to him. It might be, it might be saying, like, get on your knees. It might be saying, come away with me. It might be saying, obey. It might be saying, forgive, and you can't forgive. Like, but listen to it. I believe that, that like, our healing is on the other side of our obedience. And maybe like the man had heard bits of who God was, bits of this in the light of the world, have to do the works. Just trust in the bits of who you know God is, yeah? To, to, to follow on with what he's called you to do. If you've had an inkling, if you've had a call, and, and it might be a big thing, maybe he wants you to step out into something, maybe he wants you to, 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 to serve him in some way that seems beyond you, um, you can trust him, you can trust the voice of the Lord. I wasn't sure I could trust him, um, but he's proved himself to be like absolutely, like completely, completely trustworthy. Um, so I guess yeah, the message is this, guys: in the middle of, in the middle of whatever you're doing, listen out, listen out for the voice of the Lord. Maybe everything's going great for you right now, right? Still listen out for the voice of the Lord, right? Because it's not just from bad to good. God takes you from glory to glory, yeah. From good to even better, yeah. You can always trust Him. Listen, listen to what He's saying. And take those steps of faith. Even if they seem weird. Jesus never did a miracle in the same way twice. I think it's because he's like, it's not about formulas. It's not about, you know, you just have to do what he said. It's about relationship with him. It's about listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's about obedience. It's about the faith of saying, like, I'm not choosing independence. I'm going to choose dependence on you. It's the opposite of sin. It's, it's faith. I'm going to choose to do what you've, you've asked me to do. And I believe, like, I'm nothing special or nothing more special than anyone else the Lord has done for me, he'll do for you, and even greater things, yeah? Um, and uh, in the same way, right, that this guy went around and he, he started just to tell people about it. There's the part two, I think, of this sermon, I'll preach another time, just in the reaction of people when you tell their story, right? You know what I mean? Like, I've heard often, uh, say, somebody share a story, Jay, Jay Masson, or Jay, uh, no Masson, what's the other guy? Uh, or tell his story of how he, he like got off drugs or whatever. And people's response would always be, God didn't do that, you did that, Jay. Do you know what I mean? There's this, this desire to deny the existence of God and stay safe. And uh, yeah, that's another message, right, from the second half of this, this thing. But, um, but what God is doing, even if it's tough, even if it's weird, like here's what he'll do, is he'll use it to bless other people. It's what he does, it's, it's mad. People who are older in the Lord know this. When this thing happened with, with, with my parents a couple of months after, um, before I had this time with the Lord, uh, Gary Davidson asked me because some guys know Gary started St. Mark's kind of like Assemblies of God, and uh, I was a young leader, and he probably just wanted to input into me. And uh, he sent me down and said, Rob, at some point God will use what you've gone through. I'm just fresh in the middle of this stuff. And he's like, some point God will use it like for for His glory. He'll use it to help other people who will go through something similar. And I was too polite at the moment to not tell him what was going on in my head, which was F off, Gary. What are you? Talking about that's not gonna happen. I probably just smiled and nodded politely and ignored it. Um, but uh, years later, it's the it's kind of the bedrock of, of who I am in the Lord. Is this encounter? It doesn't matter what you go through. It doesn't matter what happens. Like God is good. He's better than you think he is. Right? No matter how high your opinion of him is, he's better than you think he is. And even if he brings you to a place of brokenness, how awesome is it, guys? That, 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 that even if we face the same stuff that the rest of the world face, the brokenness and sinful nature of the world, how awesome is it that the story that we're in tells a greater story, yeah? That says I'll use even those things to bring you from glory to glory. We see it again and again in scripture. We see it in the story of Jesus. 
crucified and what happens after crucifixion, resurrection, yeah? That even if we face it as suffering, even if like, people abandon us, even if we're talked down on it, like, what's Jesus say? Blessed are you when you're persecuted. Why? Because he knows the bigger story that he's telling. Makes sense of them all. Such a huge thing, such a gift that we need to embrace, yeah? Regardless, even the worst things that you face in life, God is at work in them to make you into who he wants you to be um, and to reveal even greater, greater, even greater who he is um, in the middle of it. Um, so lean into it, yeah? Lean into it, walk through it, ask God where he's at, don't be afraid. At times, I'll finish with this, right, because I'm probably going on. When, this is what happens when you don't have notes, you just keep talking, right? There's nothing to say. Uh, in the middle of it, beforehand, I used to have this version of faith, right? Which would just say, faith is like, just keep going regardless. So my concept of faith beforehand would have been, right, well, things aren't going well, but just keep going. Don't. Effectively, it was like, just don't ask any questions. Faith looks like you just believe, even if it doesn't look like it's working out, right? And I came, what I learned in that experience, that's not faith. Faith is willing to ask the hard questions. Yeah. Read the Psalms, man. Seven out of ten in my laments. Where are you, God? What are you up to? What are you doing? Um, and God responds to that stuff. He responds to actual faith. It's actual faith to believe that God can answer the tough questions. It's not faith at all to not ask Him because you're afraid you can't. And it's all going to fall apart. So uh, lean into it. Ask Him. Walk with Him. Uh, trust Him. He's good. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And I, just, I do thank you, Lord, for for what you've done in my life. I give you glory, Lord God. I thank you that you're still out working it. But I thank you, Lord, that you've been my Father, Lord, that you gave me your spirit that enabled me to cry out of Father and I recognised you, Lord. And I thank you for all those things that you've done, for every way that you've been good, Lord God. And uh, I bless your people, Lord God. I ask in the middle of whatever it is that they're in or the things that they face, that you would show yourself to be the same God who I know you to be, Lord, that they would hear your voice respond to a Lord God, that they would have the grace, the faith, to listen, Lord God, to, to press into who you are, Lord. Lord, you're greater in every way, Lord. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you even bring to mind now the things that maybe you've called us to do that we've bottled it, or that we've paused on that full stop, that we were afraid to do, Lord God? And would you give us the boldness, Lord, to, uh, to press into what it is that you have for us? I celebrate you, Lord God. I bless you for who you are. Thank you, Lord. For what you've done in my life, I pray it will be multiplied, Lord God, across lives, Lord God, for your glory. In Jesus' name.